The Daily 202 is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and the Washington Post Brand Studio. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, February 28th. In today's news, Michael Cohen hints that President Trump faces more legal peril than previously known. Pakistan may have violated the Geneva Convention as tensions escalate over Kashmir. And the House advances a gun control bill with a Republican amendment. But first, the big idea. President Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un abruptly cut short their two-day summit in Hanoi after they failed to reach an agreement to dismantle Pyongyang's nuclear weapons. Talks collapsed unexpectedly amid a disagreement over economic sanctions, with the two leaders and their delegations departing their meeting site in Vietnam's capital city without sitting down for a planned lunch or participating in a scheduled signing ceremony. Kim said he was prepared in principle to denuclearize, and Trump said an agreement was ready to sign. But the president said the main impediment to a deal was Kim's requirement that the United States lift all economic sanctions on North Korea in exchange for the closure of only one North Korean nuclear facility, which still would have left Pyongyang with a large arsenal of missiles and warheads. It it was about the sanctions. Will there be a third summit, Mr. President? Basically, uh, they wanted the sanctions lifted in their entirety, and we couldn't do that. They were willing to denuke a large portion of the areas that we wanted, but we couldn't give up all of the sanctions for that. For Trump, the surprising turn of events amounted to a diplomatic failure, at least in the short term. The president flew 20 hours to Vietnam with hopes of producing demonstrable progress toward North Korea's denuclearization, building upon his first summit meeting with Kim last summer in Singapore. The breakdown sent shivers through financial markets in Asia. South Korea's stock market fell sharply just before the close of trading. The South Korean won also slipped, and Japan's main Nikkei share index ended down. At a news conference before he departed Vietnam to return to Washington, Trump said he and Kim did not commit to holding a third summit, but he said they finished on friendly terms. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said he hoped negotiators from the two countries at a staff level could narrow differences in the future, but he didn't announce any firm plans to continue talks. Trump said Kim promised he would not conduct missile launches or test nuclear weapons going forward. And he said Kim was willing to close the Yongbyon nuclear research complex, the site of North Korea's main nuclear reactor and its only source of plutonium to make bombs. But Trump said there are other covert facilities to enrich uranium that Kim refused to shut down and, in fact, refused to acknowledge even exist. The president zeroed in on sanctions as the key sticking point. It was clear that the two sides remain far apart, though, on fundamental issues, including what denuclearization even means. It's still not clear what demands Kim would place on U.S. forces in South Korea and in the region for him to be willing to surrender his nuclear arsenal. The U.S. intelligence community assesses that Kim will never give up his nuclear weapons because he sees them as key to his own survival. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, during his testimony before Congress yesterday, Michael Cohen, Trump's former fixer and personal lawyer, suggested ominously that federal prosecutors remain interested in an unknown case involving the president. Cohen said that he's aware of other illegal acts regarding Trump that have not been publicly disclosed 
and he said they are under investigation by federal prosecutors in the Southern District of New York. Yes, there are ongoing investigations currently being conducted that have nothing to do with this committee or Congress that I am assisting in. A spokesman for the U.S. Attorney's Office up in Manhattan declined to comment. Cohen hinted repeatedly at other possible legal jeopardy for the president and the Trump organization. He said he's telling all now before he goes to prison for three years because he fears that if Trump loses the 2020 election, quote, there will never be a peaceful transition of power. The president and his Republican allies sought to portray Cohen as a fabulist, a disgruntled former employee, and they say that he's testifying against Trump because he wanted to be White House chief of staff and didn't get the job. They also say he's hoping to get rich with a possible movie or book deal, so he's exaggerating his story. Number two, the Pakistani government posted and then deleted a video of the Indian pilot whose plane was shot down in Kashmir, further inflaming tensions. The pilot gave his name, rank, and service number, but declined to provide more information to his captors, a common military custom for prisoners. He called them sir. But experts agree that sharing the video probably violated the Geneva Conventions, which has a provision to protect prisoners from, among other things, insults and public curiosity. The nuclear arsenals of India and Pakistan supercharge the tension here. Fortunately, both countries' leaders appear aware of the risks. Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan explicitly referred to the nuclear arsenals to make the case Wednesday that, quote, it is imperative that we use our heads and act with wisdom. Khan told his nation in a televised address that he wants to avoid war with India, saying he wants to settle this with talks. Ever since India and Pakistan conducted tit-for-tat nuclear tests in 1998, they've worked to enlarge their arsenals, though their stockpiles remain smaller than those of countries like France and China. But what's happening in the streets in Pakistan is a cause for concern. Despite the official claims about wanting to defuse tensions, there is a mood of belligerent triumph that's spreading across news stations and social media and at markets. War songs are being played on the radio, commentators are praising the military, and shouts of God is greatest can be heard in the streets. Images of a burning Indian fighter jet are being broadcast on a loop on state television. Fortunately, all the key global powers here are being mature in their response. They have refrained from explicitly backing one side. The U.S. and Chinese positions on Indian-controlled Kashmir have differed in the past. While the U.S. has usually supported India's rule there, China has tended to back Pakistan, which also claims the territory. On Wednesday, however, both the U.S. and the Chinese response were in cahoots. They both said cooler heads should prevail. Number three, the House of Representatives here in the United States approved a bill that would expand background checks on gun purchases and gun transfers. But it will almost certainly never even get a hearing in the Republican-controlled Senate, and Trump has issued a veto threat. But Democrats and gun control advocates celebrated the vote as the first significant congressional movement on tightening access to firearms since the early 1990s. Eight Republicans defected to support the overall measure. House Republicans scored a significant tactical victory, however, by winning approval for an amendment to the bill that would require ICE to be notified when undocumented immigrants try to buy guns. 26 Democrats joined Republicans for the vote, an embarrassing setback for Democratic Party leaders. Nancy Pelosi was peeved when reporters pressed her on how that happened instead of looking at the larger bill. Congressional leadership aides tell us that tensions have flared up behind the scenes between the Speaker and her number two and three. Pelosi views these procedural votes as something Democrats should only rarely support. She's someone who keeps her people in line. 
But Majority Leader Steny Hoyer and Majority Whip Jim Clyburn want to give members frequent latitude to join Republicans as long as their votes don't change the final outcome. They think that will help them hold the House in 2020. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, February 28th. Thanks for listening on this final day of The Shortest Month. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.